This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. The ability to diagnose and treat rare diseases begins with data. The growing awareness about the need to collect data and do so in ways that are meaningful and usable to research and drug development communities has mobilized a number of efforts to capture and make patient data available. All Stripes, formerly known as RDMD, completed a $50 million venture round in August to help it launch 100 new rare disease research programs. We spoke to Nancy Yu, co-founder and CEO of All Stripes, about the growing efforts around the collection of patient data, where Allstripes fits into this emerging landscape, and how data can transform the outlook for diagnosing and treating people with rare diseases. Nancy, thanks for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk about Allstripes, how data is empowering patients and changing the rare disease landscape for research and drug development. We've seen a big surge in data efforts around rare disease in the past few years. I'd like to start by having you give your perspective on the broader context. What's happening to fuel this and, and why is it happening now? That's a really good question. I've seen the the rise in this focus as well. And I think it's a couple of things. Um, Starting with the industry forces, um, there's been a lot of need for uh, engaging patients in their own care and drug research and relying on and partnering with communities directly to understand what's important to them in drug clinical development, as well as the level of evidence that is now needed uh, to support different drug programs in terms of trial design, supporting FDA submissions, and uh, a whole host of other things that are needed to get a drug across the finish line. So I think the, uh, the urgency and the demand for uh, all of this information uh, that has been missing for quite a long time is now coming to a head. Um, and that's really driven by a lot of the science that has come to market. And um, we have these great gene therapies, gene editing technologies, et cetera, that um, are now uh, facing this need for clinical development. And that's where we're getting stuck because we don't know much about the disease and there's not much existing data. People may be familiar with your company as RDMD. You change it to All Stripes. Why the name change? 
Yeah, it's a it's a good question. Um, the original name, uh, I don't think many people know this, but it stood for Research Doctor Medical Doctor. And it was um, it was really us thinking through, you know, for what as we're collecting real world data from routine clinical care um, that doctors are listing in their visits with patients and making sense of that information for research purposes. Uh, we were thinking that wow, research doctors were uh, actually, or doctors are actually, medical doctors are actually research doctors in rare disease because they're treating patients, but also uh, contributing to the wealth of research knowledge as well. Um, but over time, I think uh, the name is harder to remember. And um, as we evolved our platform, All Stripes just, we wanted to pick a name that really resonated with the patient community and our mission, which is to unlock new treatments for people affected by rare disease. And so the zebra is a very well-known and well-loved universal symbol uh, in, in the rare disease community. And so All Stripes is kind of a nod to that, um, as well as underscores all of our efforts around inclus- um, inclusivity and accessibility. We've seen the emergence of a number of different data collection efforts. There are a a number of different business models people are using. Where does All Stripes fit into these efforts? What do you see as its strengths? Yeah. um, I, I, you know, at the highest level, we have two sides to our company. Um, One side, on the one side, we're serving patients directly and the communities directly. So we're partnering with patient advocacy groups we're writing our own content about patient stories that really need to be out there to create even more awareness about an individual condition, but also the broader uh, challenge within rare disease. And so we're really trying to create a product that patients find real value in, in the short term, as well as in the long term. For example, patients can get access to all of their medical records um, longitudinally at no cost to them. And so we're doing all that legwork behind the scenes there to also return insights back to the community where we are doing research um, in that disease. Um, And then on the other side, uh, what we serve is researchers uh, and primarily drug researchers as our primary mission is to unlock new treatments. And so we'll work with biopharma companies of all sizes, academic researchers uh, who are interested in building uh, natural history studies, or even just learning about the patient community and which facilities they're going to so that they can best select their clinical trial centers in a way that um, patients find valuable. So really bridging these these two different main stakeholders, patients and drug researchers, bringing them to one platform where we don't have these classic challenges with exclusivity and who gets access to the data, patients own their own data, they can use the data however they want, and they can have their data be used for multiple different research studies. Well, how does All Stripes work? What types of data does it collect, and how does it go about collecting that data? Yeah, um, you know, whenever people think about data, there's so many different types. And um, ultimately, when we started the company, we knew that in order to get the depth of information that is needed to support drug development, whether it's trial design or natural history, and some of this data may be ending up in the hands of the FDA, um, we knew we needed very high quality data beyond um, 
simple structured fields from an electronic health record. So we knew we needed, for example, pre-diagnostic history. Um, what, what happened to patients in their diagnostic journey leading up to that diagnosis? And then really a lot of detail on progression and outcomes and endpoints and biomarkers um, as they've gone through their, their journey. So um, this is why we need access to the entire medical record, including the physician notes, which uh, if you've seen some of this can be really messy. Uh, they're kind of in stream of consciousness sometimes and, and un- totally unstructured fields. And so what we're doing is getting all of this longitudinal information, unstructured data from medical records and patient self-reported information and marrying that together and create, turning it into a useful format for drug researchers. And why does this data matter? What can be done with it? And how does it change the diagnosis or treatment of a patient with a condition? Yeah, it's a great question. And so when you talk to biopharma companies in clinical development and you know, 70% of companies, of rare disease drug companies uh, currently in R&D are actually in early stage clinical development, so pre-phase two. And usually companies in that um, period are trying to figure out what are the endpoints I'm looking at to design my trial that matter to patients, that influence quality of life at the end of the day, as well as is something pragmatic for me to design a trial around. Um, What are the gaps in our understanding about the progression of this disease, whether it's symptoms or um, different different, uh, biomarkers that could be really useful to measure to fill in gaps around our understanding and characterizing this disease to the FDA for the first time? Um, For many of these conditions, uh, regulators haven't had a clear pathway uh, of approval that companies can follow, um, unlike non-rare conditions uh, where they've approved of hundreds of drugs in a single condition. So it's really difficult to amass the kind of this, what they call the totality of evidence uh, to support a drug's approval. So the types of information that we might help with uh, span from natural history, which is really looking at what is that patient progression in a, an entire community, in an entire cohort? Um, what does that look like? over time, because only then can you make comparisons against how uh, well your drug is actually doing um, in, a, in a patient community. So that's really important. And some of these natural histories can be used in lieu of a placebo control arm, which of course is really um, critical in the rare disease space, because sometimes it's unethical to, to subject uh, patients and children to to some of these placebo control arms. Um, so that's a big focus that we hear from our customers. Um, other things are um, that are less well-known um, span even to getting the drug reimbursed. Um, so as we all know, some of these therapies can cost a lot of money um, to access. And so drug companies need to tell that story to insurance companies to say, look, um, we believe that our science can actually save costs for the entire healthcare industry. And so Blue Cross, Aetna, you know, you guys got to pay for this. Um, And so generating evidence to support that, to make it easier for patients to get reimbursed. Um, And then even more broadly, you know, because so little is known about where patients are, we get a lot of companies that come and say, well, we might just work with these top 
academic centers at Stanford or Boston Children's and um, find all of our patients there and serve them there. But we're seeing that a lot, the vast majority of patients are actually uh, in each disease are actually just scattered across the country and of course the world. And so having even that meta level knowledge about where patients actually are getting care uh, and being treated is really helpful for market planning. In, in terms of the business model, you, you work with both patient communities and with pharmaceutical companies. Is it the same business model across the board? Is this a, a fee for service? How, how does all stripes make money? Yeah. And, and, you know, we need, of course, this, this revenue in order to continue launching our communities. Uh, we jumpstart a lot of communities that don't even have a current uh, life sciences biopharma partner active, because what we want to do is um, work with a portfolio of conditions where some of them we are hoping to jumpstart interest from drug companies. Because if you, if you have the information and you have an engaged group of patients that are really interested in driving forward research, that's really what gets the interest of, of drug companies with a new platform technology like gene therapy or something like that. Um, so in short, our, our business model is we, um, it's of course at no, no cost to patients. Um, we, charge life sciences companies who pay to uh, get access to certain software that we provide to them. And for example, hosting the data in a compliant database. Um, you know, when they go to the FDA and show uh, data to them, if it's supplemental um, or not, they need to host this data in a compliant manner. So that's software that we host, that we build and sell. And then also, um, you know, whether it's surveys or whether it's um, con consent tools, there's a whole suite of software uh, tools that companies will pay for. But then beyond that, uh, a lot of the analysis of the data. So what I think people often don't understand is once you even once you get the medical records in, um, a lot of work still needs to be done to extract out information that's relevant. Um, it's, data is messy. And so just having the data and throwing it over the wall is not how um, the industry works. It's really, it requires our research team going into the data, analyzing it, answering the specific questions for life sciences. And so for that reason, um, we, we charge that uh, platform fee around research um, and into actually analyzing the data. And who owns the data that All Stripes gathers? Yeah, uh, and I, I like this topic because um, at the end of the day, patients own their data. Um, patients, for example, can opt in uh, to saying, hey, I want to contribute all my information to research, and that's great. Most patients on the platform do, uh, con con do consent, um, but patients can also remove that access at any time. So if we are doing something that they don't believe in in the future, um, that's something that we we are really held accountable to. So when we started the company, we were thinking, how do we align our business model, which is to serve, uh, to unlock more treatments with our mission, which is to help patients, right? So um, in that way, because we are relying on the trust and consent and permission of patients to um, give us access to their information, um, we're very, uh, we, we've, we wanted to align those incentives. Um, so in short, patients own all their data. Um, of course, 
they're giving other researchers the right to use that de-identified information for research. Um, so when I think about ownership, it's a very interesting topic because yes, you can own the data, but you're also giving the right to use it to somebody else, which um, is what I actually think is more important to look at. Well, how does All Stripes work with patient communities or individual patients? Let's say uh, uh, an organization has reached out to you to start uh, a data collection process. What's the what's the process you go through? Yeah, so um, sometimes uh, we'll start communities because uh, patient advocacy groups reach out to us and say, hey, there's a big need. We need um, either um, a registry uh, or we need um, to set up ourselves for natural history in the future because we know that there's going to be research coming. Um, sometimes we'll get inquiries from from life sciences who are saying, hey, we really need to unblock our program and get up to speed really fast on what uh, what this disease entails. Um, and so we can jumpstart communities in that way, uh, in both ways. And we do a lot of proactive launches as well. Um, so for example, um, we partnered, for example, with uh, the University of Pennsylvania's Orphan Disease Center around um, their uh, efforts in trying to understand a rare disease called Leshnihan. And there we partnered with the patient advocacy group um, and worked with them to understand what it is that they are interested in learning about from a research perspective. And then aligning that with what the University of Pennsylvania's Orphan Disease Center also wanted to learn about so that we are not duplicating efforts. Uh, and so there we jumpstarted that community. I think within six weeks, the community was really active and supportive. So we, we blew past the recruitment milestones um, almost 2x. And um, now we're just looking at that natural history and disease progression, looking at the symptoms. So in Leshnihan, for example, the symptoms are pretty devastating and can include self-injury and aggression. So looking at triggers for these behaviors and methods used to treat them. The idea of pulling data from an electronic health record, you know, is particularly seductive in that it's sitting there not really benefiting anyone. And from a patient perspective, once I give you permission, I, I take it my work is done. Uh, how how much of a a workload is there on the patient to collect other types of data? Mm, yeah, that probably is like a sneak peek into the future of the platform as well, and that will evolve. Well, our, we definitely want to lower the burden on families and patients. I mean, they have a lot to, um, to, to, to deal with them every day. And so um, how it works is patients will sign up. Uh, they'll tell us which facilities that they've gone to. We also have ways on the back end to see if there are more facilities that they may have missed. And so we can get that sort of accurate, um, consistent view of, of their journey. We'll go collect all that information from their different hospitals so they don't have to call anyone. They don't have to upload any papers. <laughs> um, that's the, A lot of these families carry around these binders with CDs of imaging. And so we handle all of that. Um, over time, though, because rare disease is a tough challenge where there will always be missing gaps in our knowledge and understanding of any condition, no matter how full and complete the medical records are. 
we may still need more information in the future, whether in the form of patient reported outcomes and surveys, which we have on the platform, um, or over time, even getting genetic information. Um, a lot of patients have expressed interest in that. So the types and the breadth of information and data types will grow over time. And that'll be really interesting to work with the community to see what is the best way to pull that information in with the least burden as well. One of the challenges is not just, you know, building the, the data side, but once you you've doing this collection is getting patients to participate. Is that incumbent on your partners or is that something that all Stripes does? Um, when you mean pulling people into clinical Recruiting trials? Recruiting people to participate in, in the data collection. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think there's certainly that other piece around participating in future clinical trials, but in rare disease, that's such a it, I wouldn't say it's a small piece of the whole pie in getting to that drug approval, but it, it is a piece, one of many pieces, right? So whether it's natural history or understanding disease burden, there's so many different aspects that need to fall into place. So when patients think of participating in research, uh, there's some education there initially to say, it's not just participating in a clinical trial, it's actually just having your data be contributed in order to build our understanding of this condition more broadly. So in that case, we usually work with the community groups who um, continue to spread awareness. Uh, when we, we have ambassadors, we have uh, over 10% of our patient community are ambassadors um, who may reach out to their own networks. Um, sometimes we do Instagram takeovers for a day in the life of a patient just to create more awareness around specific diseases and what, what it really means to impact um, somebody's life. And so that helps with generating more awareness of the condition, but also attracting more patients to want to participate. And then over time, sharing out transparently what those research insights are, um, whether it's partnered with a biopharma company or just our internal research that we're doing with our research team. I wanted to ask you about two of the partnerships you have, because I thought they were particularly interesting examples. Um, the first is an agreement you have with Tasha Gene Therapies. Marie, what's the scope of that? And can you walk us through what you're doing with them? Yeah, um, I think, you know, we've announced this. So the, the Tasha collaboration leverages the Allstripes platform to inform understanding of SURF-1 associated lay syndrome. Um, it's a condition that first appears in infants and young children and affects children over the course of their lives. Um, it sadly does often result in death after a few years. And so it's a really huge unmet need. Uh, the collaboration will look at natural history and burden of disease, uh, as well as looking at the patient's diagnostic journeys. Because only by looking at this information that really doesn't exist anywhere. And as you mentioned, it, they're scattered across uh, the world in these hospitals and maybe not being put to uh, the research use that it could be. Um, so the focus is on advancing the development of um, a, a gene therapy product candidate in development for the treatment of SURF1 associated lay syndrome. Um, Tasha will use the deep clinical insights from patients de-identified records and data to better inform selection of endpoints for clinical studies. Um, and currently there's no treatment 
uh, for this condition. So it's an important way for patients and caregivers to participate in moving forward research for that condition. The other partnership that was of interest that you mentioned was the one with the Penn Orphan Drug Center. Is it looking at that single condition or is that broader than that? Yeah, it's actually broader. Um, there's a couple of conditions we're working on. I had mentioned uh, Lesh Nyhan, but also uh, we're, we're partnered with them on Krigler-Najjar syndrome type 1, CN1. Um, so here in both cases, we're looking at the natural history and disease progression of both conditions, looking at those symptoms. Um, and uh, we're still recruiting patients uh, for the CN1 study and for like I mentioned, we've uh, exceeded our goal there, and we're, we're working on extracting out these insights and collecting survey information um, from families through the platform. So we're looking forward to sharing that information, what we're learning back to the community with Penn ODC later this year. I know both Tasha and Penn look at a lot of different but related syndromes. Are either of them or anyone else using all stripes to look across? diseases? Yeah, I think that is going to be super interesting, right? And right now, industry, of course, how um, how drug programs are set up and even in academia, of course, you want to focus on an individual condition. But as we know, the, the how conditions are named sometimes can be pretty arbitrary. And uh, this is why we need to look at the specific manifestations or characteristics of the conditions uh, breaking down a disease into characterizable building blocks. For example, what is the audiology impact? What is the neurocognitive cognition impact? What is How does this condition affect mobility and ambulation? So our research team has developed um, dozens of these clinical data modules that are pretty standard across diseases um, in looking at, okay, how does neurocognition affect uh, these these whole uh, suite of conditions versus just looking at the name of the disease and um, splitting out treatments that way. So I think you're on to something there where as we build more conditions in the community and as more and more companies are sp- focused on specific therapeutic areas of interest, they are definitely going to look across conditions. All Stripes recently announced a $50 million venture round how far will that funding take you and how are you going to be using that money? Yeah, we've, we think that funding is going to take us for quite um, a number of years. And of course, with everything in building a company, things may come up uh, earlier in, uh, you know, in two, three years where we might decide to make even more investment into the platform if we see that there's a need from the patient community or from our partners. Um, so it's kind of TBD. But um, we think that'll take us quite a long time. Uh, $50 million is a lot. And so the main things that um, we're focused on is, of course, continue to build the team. Uh, the team is definitely our, our, our biggest asset in terms of um, building the things that we need to get, um, get going. But in particular, we want to launch uh, a lot more communities. So launch 100 new communities in, um, in different conditions. Um, Another is continue to expand uh, our data types, so sources of data, breadth of data, depth of data, and quality of data, so that we can continue to generate more insights. And as part of this, a big effort around automation of this information so that we can scale to more and more communities um, 
while not impacting costs that much for all of our partners, lowering the cost of research. So um, a lot of technology uh, investment there um, and expanding those capabilities even globally. Um, so rare disease is, of course, a huge global challenge. And so being able to not just engage and find patients in different countries, but also get that medical information that's so critical, uh, that's a big effort in privacy, in research IRB ethics, and, um, of course, just general global expansion around translation. At some point, is there an economy of scale to what you're doing? Does it incrementally lower the cost to onboard patients or communities as you build out? Yeah, I mean, our our vision for our for using technology to do all of this um, to automate pieces of this, where when you hear drug companies doing it the old way, the traditional way, uh, you kind of slap your head and you're like, "Wow, um, there's so much opportunity for cost savings here." Uh, for example, just getting records from different hospitals. We've collected information from over 3,500 facilities at this point, and that list continues to grow. And so with every additional facility you're getting information from, it's just you, you build that economies of scale. Um, similarly, with structuring the data, um, the, the, with our current technology today, with natural language processing, you can and optical character recognition, you can actually uh, make big strides in how you extract information from an unstructured format into a structured format. And the more patients we have on the platform and the more conditions we have on the platform, we get to learn more about how this replicates to every new community while making it still uh, fit for purpose and making sure that we answer the specific research questions of interest. Nancy Yu, co-founder and CEO of All Stripes. Nancy, thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is fun. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.